Welcome to the Healing Embodied Podcast, where we have real and raw conversations about growth and healing that will shift your perspective in profound ways. We take a unique approach to healing the overthinking mind, creating conscious relationships, and living a life of courage and freedom. So take a deep breath and get ready to expand your mind, connect to your body, and activate your spirit. Hello everyone, it is Chelsea here from Healing Embodied and this week I did something a little bit different. I posted a little question box on our Instagram stories and just did a lot or just did an open Q&A like post your questions and I'm going to answer all of them. So I am going to answer all of them. I have all the questions here on my phone and I'm going to answer all the questions that the people in our Instagram audience posted. Uh, and there's things from everything from ROCD to, um, you know, working with your emotions and thoughts, um, working with trauma, unwanted thoughts, crushes, um, lots of stuff that we're going to be covering here today. So let's dive into it. So the first question I have here is why does the same theme of my ROCD come up over and over. And there's a couple reasons for this. First is that our brains are wired for repetition. Like whatever we repeat, like that's going to be the default. So if you have this groove in your brain of thinking about this particular theme or thought pattern, your brain is going to default to that. It's just going to be easiest for your brain to keep repeating what it already knows. It's just going to keep regurgitating what it's familiar. And another reason is that oftentimes our intrusive thoughts, they kind of resonate with an active wound. So if you have intrusive thoughts about what if I'm picking the wrong partner, If you have an active wound about making mistakes and your worthiness and fearing like failure and fearing not being good enough, then your brain is going to keep sticking on and like clinging on, latching on to these types of intrusive thoughts that are similar to that. Um, So if you have this deep fear and this deep wound of what if I'm not worthy enough? What if I'm I make a mistake and God's going to be disappointed, or that means I'm going to fail, or that means I'm going to get hurt. Then your brain is going to keep keep latching on to thoughts that are about that. Um, Even if on the surface it doesn't seem like that, but for example, if your brain latches onto thoughts about like, what if my partner isn't X, Y, and Z enough, and your brain keeps going back to that. What if my partner's not X, Y, and Z enough? What if my partner's not X, Y, and Z enough? If we get curious about that thought and we dig beneath the surface, we might see, okay, what do I think it would mean if I'm with a partner that's not X, Y, and Z enough? Oh, that might mean I'm settling or maybe there's someone better out there or maybe I'm not picking the best option. Okay, and what would that mean about me if I'm settling or not picking the best option or whatever. Oh, that would mean I'm making a wrong choice or that I'm failing. So you see how even on the surface, it doesn't seem like it's a fear of failure. When we get really curious and go underneath the surface, we can begin to see, oh, there's actually a deeper wound here that 
is needing to be healed and addressed. And it takes time to heal and address those deeper wounds. It takes time. And again, our brain is going to just keep going to what is familiar as we're working with that fear. All right. Next question, how to develop right-sized expectations in relationships without feeling like you're giving up? This is a very juicy and nuanced question. And my first response is get curious. Get curious about your relationship expectations and also know that right-sized expectations or like the right expectations. It's like not this hard, rigid formula because what would be right for one person might not be right for for another person. So your relationship expectations are likely going to be really unique to you and your needs and your experience and your background and your capacities. So that's why I say start with curiosity. What, first of all, like, what are your current relationship expectations? Because a lot of times they're so subconscious that we don't even realize we have certain expectations until they're not met. And all of a sudden we feel all this disappointment and resentment and anger and anxiety. So when you notice that happening, when you notice like an emotional reaction in your relationship, see if there is a subconscious or an unconscious expectation living there. And first get like, get aware of what your relationship expectations are, write them down so that you can see them. So they go from being unconscious or subconscious to conscious and get curious. Where do these relationship expectations come from? Do they come from family, religion, social media, society, movies? Like where do these relationship expectations come from? And are they actually mine? Do they actually resonate with me? Do they actually work for me anymore? Or do I just believe that I should be following all these expectations? And then if I don't follow these expectations, then I'm somehow wrong or bad. And this is going to be a process, a continual process of getting curious. I don't have a, like a black and white, you know, formula to give you. This is really going to be a process of curiosity about the expectations, where they came from, and going on this this exploratory journey for yourself. Because it's not going to come to you all at once. It's not going to be clear all at once. It's going to take time to really explore this for yourself and in your body. Like what feels true in your body, not what other people have told you, but like what is real and true for you. And with that, it's also important to become aware of like, what are non-negotiable foundational things in a relationship? So for example, that would be things like respect, safety, reciprocity. So what are some of those really, really, really core foundational things? And what are things that are preferences, but not foundational, which like expectations actually really have wiggle room and which ones are non-negotiables. Like, again, for me, it's respect. I want to feel respected and honored in a relationship. And I I expect that I expect to be respected. I I expect to be treated with dignity. I, I expect to, um, feel like there is a sense of emotional and physical safety. Like I, I, I'm not expecting like someone to 
you know, my partner to snap at me and like lose it and like lash out on me um, and making that, you know, a regular behavior. Um, An expectation also for me is reciprocity, meaning like, I feel like we're both, we're both wanting this relationship and we're both showing up for this relationship and we're both making an effort in the relationship. So for me, those are some like foundational expectations. So again, get curious. What are your foundational expectations? Which ones are preferences, maybe strong preferences, but are actually flexible. And again, it's going to be different for each person. And that's why this is a really exploratory journey to go on. All right. Next question. I convinced myself I don't have relationship anxiety. My feelings, my feelings are the exception. Why? Okay. So this is one of the most number one common things that we see with our clients is they believe, okay, well, yeah, everyone else has relationship anxiety or this is true for everyone else, but not me. I'm the exception. This actually isn't relationship anxiety. Okay. Let's go into curiosity. Okay. If it's not really relationship anxiety, my feelings are the exception. Then what do you believe that means about you? Oh, that means that I'm actually lying to myself or I'm a coward that I'm actually doing something wrong. My dogs are having a field day over here. So get curious. Okay. If you are the exception, what does that mean about you? And this will often point you to the deeper um, fears and the deeper beliefs, maybe beliefs of um, I'm actually wrong and unworthy. Maybe it's a belief of like, oh my gosh, if I don't really have relationship anxiety, then that means what? Like get curious about that Um, because this is a very protective thought pattern. It keeps you on guard. It keeps you constantly scanning. Oh, it's like, as soon as you start to relax and go, okay, I am working on this. Like I am like really, you know, working on my relationship anxiety, the thought, but what if this isn't relationship anxiety keeps you back up on, uh, alert and hypervigilance. So it's just another way that our brain keeps us from being present and surrendering and getting curious and leaning into the uncertainty. It wants that certainty. Is this relationship anxiety or not? I got to be on guard. I got to be constantly assessing and measuring and comparing and checking. All right. Next question. Um, I'm a bi girl in love with my girlfriend, but sometimes I'd love to have sex with men. It makes me so upset um, because I only want to be with her and not open my relationship. It makes me spiral badly. How do I break free? yeah, first of all, slow down. I just encourage you to take a moment to slow down with this because I know that this fear feels very urgent. I, I know there's a lot of panic. I'm like, I've got to figure out what to do about this. And your brain is probably looking for like a black and white answer. And that's like, either I open my relationships or I can experience this, or I have to like just, you know, repress this desire. So your brain might be looking for like a black and white rigid solution and doing that very urgently, which creates more discomfort, more panic. So just take a moment to maybe place a hand over the parts of your body that feel the activation of this. Yes. Right. 
that spiraling is probably happening. So see if you can slow down with the spiral. Yes. And something that happens in any relationship, no matter what sexual orientation we are, no matter who we're attracted to, is the need to acknowledge the roads not taken. In choosing, especially with monogamy, in choosing one partner, we're saying no to all these other potential options. In choosing monogamy, we are grieving other sexual partners. Even if um, you are, you identify as straight, say you're a straight man with a woman. In choosing the one woman, you're saying no to all the other women. So it even it doesn't even matter like what sexual orientation you are. We really, if we choose monogamy, we need to acknowledge that in choosing one person, we are saying no to other potential options. And with that is maybe grief, this feeling of grief, like, oh, like I didn't, I don't get to have these experiences or I didn't get to have these experiences. And a lot of times we think, oh, I shouldn't feel grief about that. Or I shouldn't feel sad about that. I should feel just like totally only desiring my one partner. I should only feel attraction for them. I shouldn't want, I shouldn't be curious. I shouldn't like have desires to have sexual experiences with other people. And we have a lot of shoulds and expectations of ourselves. So, and then we feel shame and then we never allow ourselves to actually just acknowledge the grief. Like, oh yeah, like that is an experience I would like to have. And in choosing monogamy with this partner, I'm saying no to that. So I can actually allow myself to feel the grief of that without making meaning out of it, without making any stories, without making myself wrong, without making my choice and partner wrong. Like I can let myself feel the grief of that. And I feel like a lot of this is fueled by FOMO, the fear of missing out. Oh my gosh. If I don't have these experiences, then I'm missing something. Then I'm like, I'm somehow less whole, less complete, that my life is somehow less fulfilling or less enjoyable. So I even want to invite you to be curious, like what is all the meaning that your mind is making about not being able to have these sexual experiences? Okay. So the next question, I'm so scared to look for a new job. Like all of a sudden I'm unworthy. What's happening? (laughs) Well, that's a great, that's a great question to start with. And I want to invite you to shift the energy of the question because I imagine the question is coming from a panicked place and need for certainty and need to have an answer. And this belief that there's something wrong with what's happening. Like, oh my gosh, I'm like wanting to look for a new job and I'm scared and I'm feeling like I'm unworthy and I'm not good enough. Oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And we're trying to like escape that experience and figure out why we're feeling that way and move through it before actually understanding what's really going on here. So I want you to get curious about like what secondary gain you're getting from this experience. So say like, you know, you, you want to look for a job, but you have this part of you that's like, oh, no, I'm scared. And like, what what if I'm not good enough? And what if I'm to this? And like, what, what if like, I don't want to grow up? And what if like, oh, I'm not ready for this? 
get curious, like what is that part trying to protect you from? What secondary gain do you get from that part? Can you see the usefulness in that part? What is that part trying to do for you? What is that part afraid of? So before trying to get rid of this experience, I want you to get to know this experience and understand why this is coming up for you. And not from a like, I need to figure it out so I can get rid of it. But like, hey, like, let's get curious. Like, what is going on? Like, what, what is this part? And what is this part needing? What is this part afraid of? What is this part of me feeling? And even just in that process, you're going to have a lot of awareness. and then you can start to work with this part instead of feeling like you're fighting with it and that it's like trying to stop you from moving forward. Get curious about what this part is really needing and what this part needs to do to feel safe for you to move forward and take these risks and start looking for new jobs. Yes. Okay. Um, What do I do about unwanted thoughts about your ex? about my ex. So I'm curious, like what, what meaning have you made about thoughts about your ex? And what do you mean? Like what kind, get curious, like what kinds of thoughts are these? And do you have this belief that you shouldn't ever think about your ex? Um, what kind of emotions do you feel when you think about your ex? Is it like, oh, I'm missing them or I'm comparing my relationship now to my ex or I feel lots of grief still? Get curious about the emotion that is wanting to be felt, whether that is to grieve, whether that is like I miss them because they were a big part of my life. And so I need to feel my grief. Um I'm comparing my relationship now to my ex because I'm looking for certainty. Like what is, again, what is the secondary gain that these thoughts about your ex um, have? And I want to invite you to remove any shame or shoulds because I hear this a lot with our clients. It's like, I shouldn't be thinking about my ex. Oh my gosh, what does it mean that I'm thinking about my ex? And that's what makes them unwanted. That's what makes them so distressing is the extra layers of meaning that we place on having thoughts about our ex, which by the way, it's totally normal to have thoughts about your ex, someone that was um, a big part of your life at, at some point. Um, whether that was a lot of the pain they left or the beautiful experiences you had or a mixture of it all, it's very human to have thoughts about our ex. So first remove the shame and the shoulds that are making these thoughts unwanted or distressing and then get curious. Okay. Next question. Um, I have pelvic floor trauma because of an assault. What are good healing practices for the womb? Yeah, let's slow down with this one. Really honor the pain. And I, you know, I'm not a pelvic floor practitioner or specialist in any way, but what I am an expert in is being in relationship with your body, being in relationship with the parts of us that have experienced pain. So something I want to invite you potentially to try. And again, you don't have to take anything I say as medical advice. Something I want to invite you to try is to have a conversation with your pelvic floor as if your pelvic floor is their own person. 
and speaking to your pelvic floor as, as if you're talking to a person, someone you're in a relationship with and having your pelvic floor tell you about their pain to first listen to the pain before trying to get rid of it. Because part of healing is the allowance of the pain to be expressed, the allowance of the pain to move through us, the allowance of the tears, the allowance of the grief. And a lot of times we try to rush through that to get to the healing um, because it's really uncomfortable. And especially with trauma, the pain itself, the trauma itself was already so intense that it feels really, really, really overwhelming to allow ourselves to be with the pain. So I also, in this process, want to invite you to get support. Make sure you have external support as you're processing trauma, especially assault, especially physical trauma, sexual trauma. It's really important that you have support so that you have that co-regulation and that safe container as you're processing these traumatic experiences. Yeah. Because again, it can be really overwhelming and sometimes we can re-traumatize ourselves if we're trying to like feel too much too soon. So having that external support will give us that co-regulation and help us to do it at a pro, um, at a pace that feels safe and sustainable. But first start with acknowledging your pelvic floor as a person who experienced something really, really uh, painful and just allow that pain to be heard, acknowledged, heard, and expressed. Maybe there's a sound, maybe there's a word, maybe there's a movement that you want to do to first allow that that pain to be felt and slowly, gently, compassionately held and released. Okay, next question. Refocusing thoughts to help anxiety focused around your significant other's looks and style when in public most. So Yes, if your anxiety is focused on your partner's looks and style and humor around other people, you're going to like really get sick of this word, but I want you to get curious of what, what it is that you're afraid of. If your partner looks a certain way or has a certain style, what are you afraid of um, when you're in a public setting? Are you afraid of um, people judging him are you or your partner? Are you afraid of people thinking less of your partner? And then what do you think that means about you? If other people are judging your partner, how they look, how they act, their humor, their style, what are you afraid that means about you? What do you think people will think about you? Oh, you must be, wow, your partner like made a joke that that wasn't that funny or your partner's not as hot as your last partner wow, you're really settling or wow, you picked them. It's really the reason why we focus on our partner and how they look and how they present to other people is because it's really a projection of our own beliefs of unworthiness. And we believe if I can have a partner who's the hottest, who's the funniest, who's the most stylish, who's the most social, then that will be a reflection of my worth. So get curious. What are the deeper fears? and what are some of your own fears of how other people are perceiving you? And is this a pattern in your life? Uh, believing that other people need to approve of your choices in order for you to feel worthy. Yeah. Okay. 
Next question. How to move forward with progressing um, example engagement when you aren't 100% ready? So first of all, what is your definition of being 100% ready? Like in your mind, what, like, what does that mean? What does that look like? What do you believe being ready means? Does that mean absolutely no fears, only positive emotions about it, like excitement, full confidence? Um, like, what is your definition of 100% ready? Because oftentimes we have this very perfectionistic and unattainable definition of being ready for something. And the truth is, is like, we're never 100% ready for most things in life because most things in life are things we've never experienced. So how could we be 100% ready for something we've never experienced before? If you've never been engaged to your partner before, uh, how can you be 100% ready for that when you've never experienced that? There is a lot of uncertainty about that. There is a lot of newness and unfamiliarity. So it's not so much about being 100% perfectly ready and having no fears. It's about trusting yourself to be able to navigate um, the changes, the transitions, the discomfort, the uncertainty, the newness. So really self-trust is where I want to invite you to direct your focus rather than this perfect idealistic definition of feeling ready or being ready. And yeah, we, we have lots, everything that everyone is saying, we have lots of ways to support you through this and yeah, I'll give more details for that, um, in a bit, but self-trust is more important than certainty. Self-trust is more important than being perfectly ready. Um, trusting that you can navigate whatever comes your way based on the decisions that you make. Next question. How do you get over relationship anxiety once and for all? I keep having good months, then relapsing hard. Okay. Again, let's highlight. Okay. What are your expectations here about healing or getting over something? Is it like, I'll never have anxiety ever again? I'll never have doubts ever again. I'll never experience challenges or discomfort ever again. I'll never have uncomfortable emotions. I'll always feel in love. I'll always feel this. I'll always feel that. So see if you can highlight and bring into your conscious awareness what expectations you have for healing. Because what I see over and over with our clients is this very perfectionistic, shame-based belief system driving the healing process. And this need to get rid of our anxiety or get rid of parts of us because we believe that the presence of our anxiety means that there's something wrong. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with our relationship. So if I could just get rid of my anxiety, then I'd know I'd be okay. Then I'd know that I'm worthy. Then I could enjoy my life. And this is something we help our clients with is to see that our relationship anxiety isn't evidence that there's something wrong with us. There, it isn't evidence that there's something wrong with our life or our relationship. Our relationship anxiety is the manifestation of a part of us that's really afraid, of a part of us that's feeling pain, of a part of us that believes we're unworthy if we make a mistake. So the healing happens when we learn to be in relationship with our own pain, when we learn to be in relationship with our discomfort, when we learn to meet the parts of us that feel unworthy, we meet those parts with love and unconditional acceptance. And also understanding that the process of growth 
is, I'm sure you've heard this process of growth is not linear. And in our philosophy at Healing Embodied, we have this whole like diagram and this whole visual about what the cycle of growth and healing actually looks like and how relapses or going backwards is part of the process. Because as we go backwards, we revisit something that we've experienced before. Maybe it's a trigger or a thought loop or a pattern. We revisit it and we more deeply integrate the the healing and the the new things that we're learning about ourselves we're we're integrating that once again into those triggers and those patterns so even just reframing your expectation about healing next question how do you deal with thoughts and feelings about no longer wanting to be with your partner okay let's get curious <laughs> let's get curious All right. So I'm imagining you're wanting to know how to deal with those parts um, about no longer wanting to be with your partner, because there's another part of you that wants to be with your partner. And so you're like, how do I get rid of, how do I get rid of um, the feelings and the thoughts about no longer wanting to be with my partner? So I want you to start to see yourself as having multiple parts of you there. There's a part of you that's like, I don't want to be with my partner. And get curious why, right? Like, is it because it's afraid of getting hurt, taking risks, being uncertain, afraid of making a mistake, afraid of getting divorced, like afraid of like being vulnerable? Like, get curious about the part of you that's like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be with my partner. I'm afraid, or oh, I don't know. And then get curious about the part of you who's like, no, I want to be in this relationship. I want to stay. So start to like see these different parts of you. Get to know them. Start having conversations with them. Notice how they feel in your body. This, this, these thoughts and feelings about no longer wanting to be with your partner. If you were to embody that part of you, what would it be doing? How would that show up in your body? Like, would it be pushing? Would it be hiding? Would it be, oh, my camera's getting all crazy because it follows my hand gestures. <laughs> Get curious, embody it, and see what deeper insights you can have about these parts as you embody them. Because the embodiment is what leads to the deeper insights and it brings the unconscious stuff into our conscious awareness. So I want to invite you to do that. And all of our work at Healing Embodied guides you through that type of stuff and, um, you know, helps you start to relate to these different parts of you in this way and helps you embody them, helps you to have that deeper insight. So, you know, for anyone who's wanting more support with your question, you know, all of our, our services are going to help you with this because I know it, it, we get, we get really stuck when we try to do everything on our own. We often get stuck and our mind keeps coming in and the resistance keeps coming in. And then we don't know what to do with that resistance or with those thoughts. So we just, eh, we kind of just get stuck. So having that deeper support helps you to really dig beneath the surface. Okay. Um, do you know if the fear of a certain pain or sickness can actually evoke that pain or symptom? I think in a lot of cases, it really can. Um, okay. I'm going to use this analogy. Um, a couple months ago, I was staying with some friends uh, in their guest room and the guest bathroom, they were in the middle of remodeling it. 
So that bathroom was not working. And the, the bathroom that we could use was in their bedroom. So I'd have to like walk through their bedroom to get to the bathroom. And I'm a person who often has to like go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And I was so afraid of having to pee in the middle of the night and having to walk to their bedroom and potentially waking them up and like going into their bathroom. I was so afraid of needing to have to pee and to inconvenience them and have to walk across the house. I was so like weird about that happening. But as soon as I would try to lay down and go to sleep, I would start focusing on the sensations in my bladder. I'm like, oh do I have to pee? Do I have to pee? Do I have to pee? And then suddenly it felt like I really, really had to pee. And so sometimes the over-focus on a certain part of our body can start to amplify the discomfort of that part of the body, or our minds can kind of like start to heighten and imagine and amplify the sensations that are there and then make meaning out of it. Oh, I felt a little twinge. What does that mean? And then we create this whole story and that our bodies react based on that story. This is, this is the whole concept of the body mind connection. So in a lot of cases, yes, that can, that can happen. Um, Next question. Do you ever regret being with someone who is different than you did? You have those thoughts. Um, I think the question is, do you ever regret being with someone who is different than you? Oh, okay. Okay. Did you ever, did you ever regret being with someone who is different than you? Did you have those thoughts? So I'm imagining you're asking me because you're wondering for yourself, if it's okay to be with someone who's different from you, or if it's okay to have feelings of regret. Uh, And what does it mean about me if I have feelings of regret? Or what does it mean about me if I'm with someone who's so different from me? So I want you to get curious. Okay. What does it mean about me if I'm with someone who's different from me? What beliefs do I have about differences in relationships? What expectations have I been taught about relationships and differences in relationships? Um, what What deeper fears are here? Okay. If you have some regrets, what do you fear that means about you? What's the meaning you place around the emotion of regret? And what beliefs do you have about differences in general? Um, Because this was something I really struggled with in the beginning of my relationship, because me and my husband are so different. And I had so many beliefs about like how, you know, oh, someone who's different from me in this is somehow less than, or I shouldn't be with someone who's different from me. And so I had a lot of fears and anxieties around this. Um, And I have like a whole hour long, (laughs) hour long video on this on YouTube. It's called the love or fear show dealing with differences in relationships. We also have a whole module in our digital course, the luscious love immersion that dives into this as well. Um, but yes, get curious before you look for reassurance, get curious of like, why am I seeking reassurance? And what is it that I'm really wanting in having Chelsea give me the answer? So like, if I said, no, I don't, I didn't regret it at all. Would you feel like, oh, okay. I feel relieved because that means I'm okay. Like, what are you really looking for? And if I were to say, yeah, I did regret it. Would you be like, oh my God. <laughs> so like when you're looking for reassurance about if something is okay, or if someone else has experienced something too, what is it that you're really looking to feel? And can you begin to give that to yourself? Yes. 
Um, why do people expect a relationship to be compatible from the start and not letting it grow with time? I think it's just become a cultural expectation and a cultural norm that compatibility, like people are like products and they're either compatible or they're not. And that human beings are static. And so we're looking for someone who has all of these qualities that match all of our qualities. And it's going to just stay that way. It's going to remain that way versus seeing human beings and relationships as these evolving, living, breathing, growing, morphing, changing things. Human beings change. You change. So being in relationship is actually much less about being with someone who's surface level compatible or similar and being with someone who is willing to evolve and change and grow with you. Um, I think that's a more realistic uh, thing to look for in relationships versus, okay, can I be with someone who checks off all these boxes and it's going to be that way forever? Because say you do, you know, find someone who checks all the boxes. You both as human beings are going to grow and change and evolve so much over the lifetime of your relationship. If that's something you want, if you want a lifelong long-term relationship, being able to navigate the changes and evolution of each person and learn to love them over and over as they are, that's what we need to be practicing and, and the skill we need to develop. Can emotions Okay, next question. Can emotions of love come along the way or do they have to be present from the beginning? Even just noticing the language in this question, my love, do they have to be? Why? Who says who? Who made these rules? Who has the rule book for life? Right? Like, get curious. What? Like, why do I feel like I have to follow these rigid rules of how a relationship should be? And what would happen if I didn't follow those rules? What if my relationship story was unique and different? And we actually have a whole uh, recorded workshop on this called Shake Off the Shoulds. Um, all the shoulds that we and have tos that we place in our relationships, these expectations and this fear of not measuring up to the shoulds and have tos, this fears of our relationship somehow being different from societal standards. So there's a lot of layers to this. I can really feel there's a lot of layers to this that are going to need to be explored and we have lots of resources for that <sighs> okay next question any advice for big transitions buying a house with my partner um that is bringing up all the fear okay what if i said it's normal to have fear in transitions what if i said that there isn't anything that needs to change except for our own perception of our fear when we're going through change and transition, we are stepping into the unknown. We're stepping into something unfamiliar. We're stepping into risk. And it's just part of human evolutionary biology to have aversion to risk, to have aversion to the unknown. Because evolutionarily speaking, the unknown could potentially be really dangerous. So our brains are always looking for the danger and the unknown or trying to project what the danger might be in that dark cave. Could there be a tiger in that dark cave? I don't know. I can't see. So I need to be like really careful and really cautious and really aware. 
But you moving, buying a house with your partner is not a dark cave where there's a tiger in it. And yet our human brains still treat it like it is. So first acknowledging this is human evolutionary biology to see the unknown as a threat and to like make space for the discomfort in transition and to know that like our brains are looking for the familiar and we can like have love and compassion and humor towards our brains for doing that. And to practice being with the discomfort of stepping into the unknown and stepping into the unfamiliar and cultivating self-trust. Can I trust that I'll be okay no matter what? Can I trust that I can handle the discomfort of this transition, of the discomfort of the unknown? Do I trust that I can hold it in my body? And if the answer is no or not really, then that's where your work is. And again, we have lots of ways to support you with that. Um, we have a whole program called Trust and Love that literally helps you with these very things. <sighs> Next question. Could you speak a bit more about emotional pedestalization? I find this idea really interesting. Yeah, so I did an Instagram post maybe a month or so ago talking about emotional pedestalization, which is the term I, I don't know if I made this up. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't know. But the term I use to talk about when we put in love feelings, happy feelings, excited feelings on a pedestal of like, these feelings are good and these feelings are bad. I should be feeling these feelings and I shouldn't be, like, be feeling these feelings. It's when we have judgments about certain emotions rather than seeing all emotions as neutral human experiences, we have been taught and we believe that some emotions are good and some emotions are bad. So when we're not feeling the good feelings, we go, how do I get those feelings back? <sighs> and then we're feeling the bad feelings. What am I feeling this? I shouldn't be feeling like this. And we create so much more suffering for ourselves rather than allowing all experiences to flow through us, trusting that all emotions ebb and flow, trusting that the joy and the love will return when we're feeling disconnection. And having this just sense of openness with our emotions, we tend to cling or push away or avoid or try to um, only feel one way. Yes. Next question. I just turned 24. What advice do you have for someone in their 20s just starting to heal? First of all, I just want to give you a big hug. Oh, I'm just reminded of my 24-year-old self who was really new on this journey. And I want to say, I'm so excited for you. And I want to say it's going to, a lot of times you're going to feel lost. A lot of times you're going to feel confused and you're going to think that the feeling of confusion and the feeling of being lost is a problem. And I want to say it's part of the process because when we're going from what is known and the familiar patterns and the familiar beliefs, and we're beginning to make changes that space in between, we often feel lost. Until this new way of being and the new beliefs become familiar, we're in this in-between stage. And we're like, oh my gosh, like what is life? I don't know anything anymore. Like, ah! it, it can feel a lot like we're lost. And just know that that is, that's part of the process. And eventually the new thing will start to feel like home. It'll start to feel familiar. It'll start to feel natural. 
So if you're feeling lost, if you're feeling confused, it's part of the process. Keep going. This work can feel really, really challenging at times. Um, so give yourself so much grace and patience and don't forget to play. You're in your early 20s. Don't forget to play. Don't forget to rest and take breaks. And there's there's no rush and there's no shoulds in this process. And you're just as worthy now as the more healed version that you imagine in your head. Oh, I need to like get through this so that I can be more worthy. You're, and no, the version of you now is just as worthy. And the version of you now is a necessary part of becoming who you're becoming. All right, next question, second to last question. Potential reasons ROCD gets triggered when back from solo trips or trips with friends. Okay, so get curious. What, what in particular about this situation is triggering? Is it a belief that you should have missed your partner the whole time or that it should have been so terrible to be away from your partner? Like what, again, bring, let's bring the unconscious into the conscious. What about this is so triggering? What beliefs and meaning are you making about your experience? Right? Because a lot of times we go, oh, I should have missed my partner. Or, oh, I shouldn't be having more fun with all my girlfriends in Vegas than I do with my partner. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? What does this mean? So just get curious about the meaning you're making about this experience. <laughs> Because there's a lot of reasons based on whatever meaning your mind is making and how you're wrong or your relationship's wrong or you're doing the wrong thing or you shouldn't be feeling this way. Yeah. All right. Last. Yes, last question. I'm making sure I'm getting all the questions. Wait, did I get all the questions? Yes. Okay. Okay, yes. Last question. <laughs> last question. Thoughts on same-sex crushes while being in a relationship with a man. Okay. I'm, I think it's fine. <laughs> and I'm curious, why are you wanting to know my thoughts? Again, what are you looking for when you're asking this question? What am I, what am I looking for? Am I, lo am I looking for permission? Say it's, it's okay. And that sexuality is on a spectrum and like, I have a lot of questions in response to your question. So I invite you to get curious and what fears, what meaning come up when, if, and when you have a same sex crush, you go, oh my gosh, what does this mean about me? What does this mean about my relationship? Get curious and get curious of like, what, what are you hoping for me to say? Because that's the thing you need to say to yourself. If you're looking to me to say like, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you, but like your human experience is okay. If you're looking for me to say that, that's really something you need to say to yourself. Cause that's what self-trust is, is trusting that like my human experience is okay. Simply because I'm having that experience and I'm human and sexuality and relationships are so complex. And there's so many different reasons why we have crushes and it's part of being human and therefore it's okay. And it's safe to have whatever experience I'm having. Yeah. Let's all take a breath. 
together. Yeah, we explored a lot today. And as you may have noticed, curiosity was the, the thread. Curiosity is the lens through which we look at all these things. And also developing relationship with all parts of ourselves, removing shame, removing judgment, trusting ourselves, trusting that we're okay, trusting in our worthiness, trusting in our ability to handle and face discomfort, trusting that, that we're safe. And this is what all of our work at Healing Embodied helps you to do, is to shift from this judging, shaming way of looking at yourself to this curious, compassionate lens, going from like, you know, like needing to know the answer and reassurance to being able to hold the discomfort and trusting yourself and being able to have that self-assurance versus reassurance from other people. This is what we help you with the healing embodied. And we have lots of ways to support you. We have an amazing group program called Trust and Love. It's a three-month group program. We have self-paced digital courses um, that walk you through this stuff. We have one-on-one work. Um, and if you're watching or listening to this in the month of August, August 2023, all month long, we are having uh, promos on our programs and services because it is Healing Embodied's fourth birthday. Um, I started, Healing Embodied became an official registered business in August, 2019. So every August we go hard celebrating and we do lots of promos and bonuses. So check us out on Instagram, get on our email lists in order to find out what those bonuses are. And of course, if you have any questions about working with us, um, you can head to our website or send us an email. It's info at healingembodied.com. I'll put all the necessary resources, links, information in the um, description. So you can check that out if you want further support with these questions and these triggers and these things that you're navigating. So sending you so much love. Thank you for allowing me to hold space for your fears, um, your desires, your questions. I'm meeting them with love. I understand I've been there too. And I would love to support you further. Sending you all the love, big hugs once again. And until next time, I can't wait to chat with you again.